Welcome to week four of Alive and Free. In this series, we are talking about killing the things that are killing you. The theme verse of this series is John 10, 10, that says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We have a very real enemy who wants to do three things, and three things only, steal, kill, and destroy. And so throughout this series, we've been talking about all the ways that the enemy tries to do that, like addiction and fear and distraction. Because here's the really good news, that's not how that verse ends. It goes on to say this, Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The thief may come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus' plan for your life is to live alive and free. And so here's the deal for week four. I'm talking about a topic that I have a personal vendetta against. Today we're gonna talk about comparison. And comparison is one of those things that has stolen way too many good night sleeps from me and that I've watched destroy too many people's days. And so we're going to fight back against this thing that is fighting us. We're gonna learn how to kill the thing that is killing us. And so if you're taking notes, I titled this sermon, How to Kill Comparison. Wanna take you through a, a story in Mark 9, an interaction that Jesus has with his disciples as he gives us four very practical, simple ways to kill the, the comparison in our lives. And so, Father, as we open your word, would you help us speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You guys can take a seat. All right, let's start with a working definition of comparison, because not all comparison is bad. If your car got destroyed this week by hail and you're trying to go find your next car, you have to be able to compare price and value and all that. If you're trying to figure out what movie to watch tonight, you have to be able to compare movies and figure it out. But comparison gets us in trouble when it becomes an identity thing. I'll say it like this. The type of comparison we're trying to kill is basing your worth on how well you stack up against others. Uh, when you start comparing how well you're doing to how well other people are doing, that is where we get into trouble. Andy Stanley calls this the land of Ur because uh, when we get caught in the comparison trap, suddenly it's not enough for us to have a house that's big. We wanna have a house that's bigger than our neighbors. It's not enough just for us to have a fancy car. We wanna have a car that's fancier than our coworkers. It's not enough for us just to be known as a nice person. We wanna be known as someone who's nicer than everybody else. The comparison trap turns the whole world into one giant competition. Hey, here's how it works. You wake up one morning and you decide, hey, it's time for me to get healthy. I wanna get into shape. And if that's you, we cheer you on and we go, absolutely, your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Go for it. But then you, you start eating healthy and you start working out and everything's going well until you start to look to the left and to the right. And suddenly it's not enough just for you to be fit. You start wanting to be fitter than other people. It's not enough for you now just to be strong. You want to be stronger than other people. It's not enough for you to be pretty. You want to be prettier than other people. It's not enough for you to be rich. You want to be richer than other people. It's not enough for you to be funny. You want to be funnier than other people. Do you see it? 
Here's the problem with the comparison trap. There's always going to be someone better than you. Welcome to church. <laughs> it's just true. Hey, work your whole life to be successful. There will be somebody else whose life and success level makes yours look like not very much at all. But work your whole life to, to have a lot of money. There will always be somebody who has more money than you. It's just how it works. There's not enough err in all of the world to make up for the broken human condition. And so instead, what I wanna help us do today is pack our bags and leave the land of Ur and learn to live alive and free by killing the comparison trap. And so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in Mark 9, verses 33 through 41. And uh, I'm going to just read it straight through. Um, so I, I just want you to hear the story first, and then we'll back up and we'll work through it one verse at a time, and um, we'll, we'll see the four practical steps that Jesus gives his disciples for killing comparison in their lives. Mark 9, verse 33, says, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, this is Jesus talking now, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Another way to say God the Father. Teacher, said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Now, there's a lot going on in that passage. Let's break it down. First, this is ultimately a passage about greatness and what it looks like to be great. And you gotta hear what I'm about to say right now or else you, you won't um, fully grasp everything I say after this. So super important, listen up. God wants you to be great. Do you know that? He really does. He created you on purpose for a purpose. He, he has you here for a reason. He wants you to be great. I, I would argue that ever since God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and said rule over it and have dominion over it, there has been something in us, God-given desire to do something great with our lives, to have our li let our lives have a ripple effect that is great. That is a holy endeavor. I want you to be great. I, I want Christians in this city to be the most creative creators in this place. That's, I, I want us to step up into the God-given potential that he has for us. I want you to be great. And at the exact same time, I think one of the most tragic consequences of the fall is that it's, it's uh, warped our desire to be great into a desire to have other people think that we're great. 
me say that again. One of the, the, the biggest tragedies of the fall is that it's no longer enough for us just to be great at what we do. We want other people to think that we're great. Because here's the problem. We are broken humans living in a broken world. And a result of, of being broken humans is that we're constantly asking questions like, am I enough? Am I worthy? Am I lovable? Do I have what it takes? And what we'll start to do is we'll start to look for that by being better than other people at things. We'll start to look at that and, and being, learning how to be great at the things that we do. But again, there's not enough ur in all of the land to fix the broken human condition. Instead, we have to look elsewhere. Jesus gives us answers to all of those questions. When he says, hey, are you tired yet? You tired of trying to win this comparison battle? Uh, you tired of, of trying to be far enough ahead of the curve that you feel better uh, about yourself? Why don't you just come to me? I'll give you the answers that you are looking for. I will give you the rest that your soul is desperate for. Come to me, I'll remind you that you are loved, that you are valued, that you are accepted. And then from a place of security, let's go change the world together. That's the beauty of the message of Jesus. Let's be honest. It's easy for me to preach that and it's easy for me to believe that every once in a while. Most of the time I downshift back into comparison mode. And so really practically this week, as we work back through this text, I wanna give you four steps. Four steps that's going to help you kill that comparison every time it comes up. So let's go back to the text, Mark 9, verse 33. This is Jesus and the disciples all throughout the Gospel of Mark have been traveling a bunch. And Jesus has been doing a bunch of miracles in different places and feeding thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and all of this crazy stuff. And so there's crowds following these guys everywhere. But Capernaum was kind of a getaway for them, a small little fishing village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And Peter, one of the disciples, had a home there um, that I believe this story is taking place in. It was kind of like a, a retreat spot where they could get away and close the door and have some real conversations. And so the setting of this passage is Peter's house. It says this, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. I love this story so much. The disciples are following Jesus. They're walking with him. And then slowly, as they walk, they start backing up a little bit, getting some space between them and Jesus so they can have the argument that they've been wanting to have. Like guys do sometimes when, when you get together, you start arguing about who's the greatest. Which means that by the time they got to the house, most of them are feeling very insecure, realizing that they don't measure up, and then a few of them are feeling really puffed up. Because by the way, the only two fruit of comparison are insecurity and ego, neither of which is helpful when it comes to following Jesus. Most of the time we just feel insecure because we, we feel like we're, we're uh, not measuring up. And then when we do feel like we're doing a good job, the best that it leads to is us being prideful. And so most of those disciples are like, oh man, I don't measure up. And then a few of them are going, oh, I'm doing pretty good. 
You know, I think I'm, I might be the greatest. I know I at least got Thaddeus beat. That dude has said, barely said one word in three years, you know? And that Judas guy, that Judas guy is sketchy, man. I don't know why, I can't tell you why, but I just feel like there's something sketchy going. I know I'm at least better than Judas. Jesus was a master at knowing when there were things dividing the disciples. And I love it. He goes straight to the source and he calls them out on it. And so the first step when it comes to dealing with the comparison trap is we have to be like Jesus. We gotta call it out. What were you guys talking about on the road? I picture the disciples like all looking down, like, oh, I don't wanna tell them. Jesus is just shining a bright light on a dark place in their lives. Because by the way, comparison loves to live in the dark. Comparison loves to go unnoticed. Comparison loves to be an invisible enemy. That's why, uh, like, as we go throughout the sermon, you might find yourself going, oh, I, I didn't even realize that I was comparing myself in that way. I have been doing that. It's like if you're an army general and, and, and you, you're talking to your soldiers, like, hey, there's, there's an enemy coming to kill us. And they go, great, where is it? And you go, I don't know, it's invisible. You're going, oh, no. <laughs> like, like, we're gonna lose this. Like, we're gonna lose every single time. But if you shine a light on the enemy and you, and you call it out, and you can actually see it, and you still might lose every now and then, but at least you'll have a fighting chance. So step one when it comes to falling into the comparison trap is to call it out. And so, let's go. Some of the ways that we compare ourselves to each other, there's a thousand. One of the big ones that I've noticed is, and just in my own life, is timeline, especially when it comes to career. You ever play that game? Well, so-and-so, by the time they were my age, had already done this, that, and the other. Like, by the time that person was my age, they already had a successful business, but all my tech startups keep failing. I feel like I'm falling behind. By the time she was my age, she had already landed a role. I keep getting rejected, and so I feel like I'm falling behind. She had already been published by the time she was here, and now I'm only here, or I'm still in school. I haven't even graduated yet. I feel like I'm falling behind. It's all the comparison game. Because here's the truth, hey, Moses didn't begin his ministry until he was 80 years old. God has a plan for your life. Your job is to be proactive in that, absolutely. Uh, but it's to wake up every morning and go, God, I trust you. God, I'm here for you. God, what do you have for me today? Let's not worry about the, the, the future. Let's not worry about tomorrow. Let's be present right here. Everything else is just the comparison game. It just gets us in trouble. I love, there's a guy named Solomon in the Old Testament who if you wanna talk about the comparison game, he wins. He was the king. He had more resources than any of us will ever have. He would just throw these like crazy parties every night and everything from the world standard of, of yeah, that's what we're all going after, it was him. And then he writes towards the end of his life this letter we call Ecclesiastes and he's reflecting back on all of it going, yeah, it's all pretty much just meaningless. It's a wild book. Ecclesiastes 4.4, he says this. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. He writes, this too is meaningless, a chasing after wind. 
He goes, I won the comparison game. And then I realized it was just chasing after wind. And so for the one in here who finds themselves comparing themselves, their career path to, to somebody else's career path, uh, can you just be encouraged to, today that, that God has a plan for your life, that God has you where he wants you to be, that God is teaching you what he needs to teach you, and sometimes the most beautiful gifts take some time to develop? Uh, to the ones who do creative work in this place, Few things kill creativity like comparison. Brene Brown has a, a great quote. She says this, stay in your lane. Comparison kills creativity and joy. I, listen, I preached this sermon twice last night, woke up early this morning, got to the church about 6.30, sat down with my Bible to go over my notes and immediately started thinking about someone who preached a sermon like this about 10 years ago and felt insecure about how much better their sermon on comparison was than my sermon on comparison. <laughs> this morning, four hours ago that happened. Like this is real, this is life. And, and so um, I had to, to stop and I'll, I'll give you this exercise because it may help a few of you this week. What I do is my line is stop comparing, start creating. Stop comparing, start creating. Stop comparing, start creating. But, but I'll, I'll quite literally, I'll, I'll hold my hands out like this and I'll exhale and I'll go, stop comparing. And I'll turn them over and I'll go, start creating. Stop comparing. Start creating. Try it this week. Watch what happens as you're, you're sitting at your, your office or you're, you're in class and it seems like everybody else in the lecture hall is understanding what the professor is saying, but you can't quite grasp it. Stop comparing, start creating. Everything else is just the comparison game. But man, there's, there's so many ways that we fall into this trap, right? Like let's talk relationships. Single people, we'll chat in a second, don't worry. But if you're in a relationship, hey, it's so easy to start to compare your relationship to other people's relationships, right? And every time we do that, we start to feel like our relationship is not nearly as good as their relationship. Stephen Furtick pointed out once that what's happening is we're comparing our behind the scenes to their highlight reels. Like the things that they're posting on social media is their highlight reels. We're comparing our day to day. And what's funny is oftentimes at this point in, in sermons, preachers will say things like, so we gotta stop posting our highlight reels, you know? And you think about it, it's like, so, so what? You want someone to be like, got in a huge argument on the way to church today, relationship may not work out, hashtag blessed, you know? It would just be silly. That's what social media is there for. Of course people are going to post their highlight reels. Hey. The onus is on us as adults to understand how the game is played. To realize that people are always gonna post highlight reels, but let's not compare behind the scenes to it. It's like Doug and I grew up going to baseball games, and then I would love going home at night and watching SportsCenter recap the baseball game. But I'd always think like, they made that game look a lot more exciting than it actually was. But also like, of course they did. Like, what do you want for SportsCenter to do? Like, show like, and this is in between the sixth and seventh inning when they were warming up. You know, we'd be like, why am I watching this right now? This is what we do. We show people the highlights. And so that's great. Keep showing people the highlights. And now to the rest of us, let's stop comparing ourselves to their highlights. Pictures just in general, 
Uh, I, I'll, I'll share it, whatever. I, I love, um, I love to, to surf, at, and, and surfing at sunset is like my favorite thing in the world. I think it's the most relaxing place to be. Um, but one of the funny things that happens when you're out in the water at sunset is when you look back to the beach, there's just a whole bunch of people trying to get the perfect picture at like the perfect time of day. And if you ever watch friend groups trying to take a picture, they're just so angry with each other. Like, I told you to jump on three. Who's not jumping? Smile. You got to smile, but keep your eyes open. Who blinked? We got to show the whole world that we're so happy right now. And it's kind of ironic because they just look so, like, frustrated, right? And take the pictures and have the memories, all that. That's so good. What I'm trying to say is let's just remember that behind every picture and behind every post is a lot of pain for everybody, including me, always. And so it gives you a lot of more grace for the people in the picture, but also like, hey, you don't have to compare. You don't have to swipe through and start to feel insecure about your life because they're doing that, that super fun thing. Hey, run your race. Stop comparing timelines. Stop comparing relationships. Like, like you see a picture of a, like the perfect family with young kids and you go, I haven't been on a date in a year. What's, what's going on? I feel like I'm falling behind. Have you ever seen a family with young kids try to take a picture? <laughs> They're so frustrated the whole time. The, the poor photographer has to take like a thousand photos just to get the perfect one where everyone's smiling, right? It's just like, let's just be honest that we're all broken people trying to figure out life together and that comparison doesn't help. But when we can stop comparing, we can start celebrating each other. More on that in just a second. Let's get back to our text. Jesus calls it out. What were you guys talking about on the road? I wonder if you're, you're gonna have a moment this week when you're in school or in work where you just hear that line. Hey, what were you just thinking about on the road? Call it out, man. Shine a light on it. Then the next thing Jesus does is he redefines greatness. You gotta call it out, and then you gotta redefine greatness. Because let, let's just be real. This conversation that the disciples are having is ridiculous. They're walking with Jesus, the greatest to ever do it. Like Jesus is the goat, the greatest of all time. Can we all agree on that? Uh, besides from all the demons he cast out and people he healed and relationships he restored, he... Uh, I don't know, live the perfect, spotless, blameless life, taking the weight of, of sin on his shoulders so that we could go free, and then three days later, defeating sin and death once and for all. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Even if you don't buy into any of this, if you're watching online and you're not a Christian, you have to admit Jesus is the most influential human to ever live. I know that because we're currently keeping track of time based off of his life. <laughs> Even the most staunch atheist has to go, hey, it's October 1st and Jesus was here 2,023 years ago. <laughs> so I some 2.7 billion people will meet in churches this weekend to worship his name. I love, there's a historian named H.G. Wells who says something so, so real. He's not a believer. And he says this, I am a historian. I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. Jesus is the greatest of all time. 
how about we let the greatest redefine what greatness really is for us? So with that, Mark 9, verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12. He's like, hey, we gotta talk. <laughs> you guys aren't gonna tell me what you were talking about on the street? Fine, let's chat. Anyone who wants to be first, Jesus says, must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child uh, in the first century. You're, you were judged based off of what you could bring to society, and so children were the, the bottom of the rung. But Jesus had a different approach. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. The greatest of all time redefines greatness for us. What does he say? If you wanna be first, learn how to be last. If you wanna be great, learn how to serve people. If you wanna find your life, lose it. See, I want you to be great. If you wanna be great, you're gonna need ambition. And so the question is, is this ambition that you're feeling holy ambition or selfish ambition? And I have to check myself on this every single day for the record. Holy ambition or selfish ambition? How do you know the difference between the two? A uh, pastor from Australia named Mark Sayers said it this way. Um, I was listening this week and fair warning, ever since uh, it's been working on me. So if you don't wanna be convicted right now, just earmuff it for like 10 seconds. Mark says, uh, he goes, Think about your dream. Like, think about the thing that you want to see come to pass. Think about the thing that gets you out of bed every morning. Now imagine that dream coming to pass, except you don't get any of the credit for it. Are you still good with it? And if I'm being honest, I go, it depends on the moment, man. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. And in those moments, I know I'm, I'm walking with holy ambition. And then there's some other times where I'm, I'm caught in the comparison trap and I go, but I want people to know. And those are the moments where we go, Jesus, would you help me redefine greatness in my life? Greatness isn't, isn't greatness by the world's standards. Greatness, true greatness is greatness by the kingdom of God's standards. How well am I helping heaven come to earth by serving? That's greatness. And so we call it out, and then we redefine greatness. And then step three is gonna be uh, found in verse 38. So let's keep reading. Mark 9, verse 38. Teacher, I love how honest the Bible is, by the way. They're not trying to mask that. Uh, this is a ridiculous thing John's about to say. It's not in John's gospel, I noticed. He left it out of his gospel, but Mark, Mark put it in his. Teacher, said John. We saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. They're arguing on the road about who's the greatest and then Jesus sits them down and tells them what true greatness really looks like and then John goes, hey, so uh, there was this guy and he was being oppressed by a demon but there was this other group of people who have been listening to your teachings and decided to put it into practice and they prayed for him and the guy got set free. And just as he was crying and cheering and everybody was celebrating, uh, 
I showed up and said, what are you guys doing? You guys aren't uh, doing kingdom work over here, are you? You know, I'm, I'm one of the 12, right? And John is bragging about this moment to Jesus. He goes, don't worry, Jesus. I stopped them. <laughs> the number one way to know you're caught in the comparison trap is when other kingdom work is a threat to you. So your ministry, the reason you feel like you're on this earth is to help people get off the street and get back up on their feet. Amazing. Thank you for your work. Let's go. Let's work together to do it. Well done. How do you respond when somebody else talks about another nonprofit that's doing the same work? Is it, well, let me give you the five reasons why they're not doing it well and how they could be doing it better. It's like the nonprofit full of people who have sacrificed a lot to be one of your teammates, to help you do the same thing, to come alongside you. And listen, I know that there is room for conversation and strategy and all of that is important. But if we can't start with celebrating, it's a sure sign that we're caught in the comparison trap. And that comparison is killing you. Let's talk about church, shall we? Jesus said on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 2,000 years later, that prophetic promise rings true. The work of the enemy cannot and will not stop the church. And yet, all we do is compare ourselves to each other. Oh, that church, yeah, no, they're, they're too evangelistic. There's no roots there. There's no depth there. You won't get fed at that church. Oh, that church, they're just too emotive. They're just going after emotions and, and, and feelings. It's too subjective. It's too distracting. Oh, that church, they're just focused on outreach. They're, they're not getting into the word and they're not diving deep and, and building the roots that they're supposed to be building. And it's like, think about that from God's point of view. Who, by the way, God's probably like, just so you know, you're all wrong about multiple things. Let's just start there. But two, man, I just love it when my children do their best and show up and meet together and open up my word and, and worship. I just love watching my children move forward. Like, think about, think about a father receiving three different gifts from three different kids and going, that shirt's not even my color. That book got horrible reviews on Amazon. A framed picture of us? What am I gonna do with a framed picture of us? Like, it's absurd. That's not the heart of a loving father. A loving father goes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Three slightly different expressions of the same love for me, thank you. When other kingdom work starts to feel like a threat to us, it's a sure sign that we're caught in the comparison trap. Now we have to call it out. We have to redefine greatness. And then Jesus is gonna give us the third step with how he responds to John. Do not stop him, Jesus said, for no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me and then get this, for whoever is not against us is for us. Step number three, and this is, potentially the most important step, cheer them on. Can we be a church that cheers on other churches? 
Can we be a church that talks well about other churches? Can we be a church that links arms with other churches and says, let's go make heaven more crowded together? In that career that you're, you're chasing, in that dream that you're pursuing, we're here for you and we want you to pursue it with holy ambition. How do you respond when somebody else gets the lucky break that you were hoping for? But God, what about me? Hello, I'm over here. Or is it, hey, I'm so, I'm, I'm so happy for you. I'm so pumped for you. I'm with you. I'm cheering for you. How can I elevate you? It's two very different mindsets. Single people, let's chat. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about. I just believe so deeply that you can be content as a single person. If you want to be able to do that, though, you have to understand this. Your friend's wedding is not a loss for you, it's a win for them. And so cheer them on. Your friend's new relationship is not a loss for you, it's a win for them, so cheer them on. Talk to them about it. Take them out to coffee and celebrate it. Be an ear to help them debrief what's going on. Even if at first it's just externally. Because ultimately the goal is that this would be internally. We all know how to say the right things. I'm talking about a heart posture that goes, I'm nothing but thankful for you and excited for you. Sometimes you gotta preach your way there. And so you just start cheering them on. You watch how cheering somebody on will melt the comparison trap off of your shoulders. That person this week that you find yourself comparing yourself to, feeling insecure towards, you start cheering for them, start praying blessing over them, just watch, man. It is the secret to all of this. It's, it's, it's what Jesus is trying to help John and the rest of the disciples do. It's going cheer them on. And then finally, verse 41, Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to the Messiah, will certainly not lose their reward. At the end of such an amazing passage about greatness, Jesus brings it back to a cup of water, like only he can. What does it look like to be great? Don't try to be great, just serve people. Okay, what does that look like? It looks like if you see someone who's thirsty, bring them a glass of water. He brings it back to like the most basic act to show that, it, that greatness, true greatness, just looks like waking up every morning and saying, God, I'm, I'm here. What do you have for me today? And so anytime comparison starts to, to come at you, you call it out, you redefine greatness, you cheer that person you're comparing yourself to on, and then final step, you run your race. Emphasis on your. <laughs> you can't run her race. You can't run his race. You can try, you're not gonna get anywhere. But you have a race to run. And so it's your job to run your race, to bring your cup of water to the person that needs that cup of water. Whatever manner of speaking that, that means for you. To keep your eyes open and love your neighbor as only you can. That's what greatness looks like in the kingdom. I want us to be a church that pursues kingdom greatness with holy ambition, but it's gonna take killing comparison. So I'll end here. I, uh, 
been excited to preach this sermon for a, a long, long time because comparison has uh, been a part of, of my life for years. Um, one of the ways for me is what, what Doug and Ethan and I get, get to do sharing the stage like this is so amazing. It also creates a, a lot of uh, uh, easy landmines to step on when it comes to the comparison trap. And over the years, the three of us have had to call it out in each other and just be very, very open and honest with each other and work through it together. Uh, and along the way, we've found so much freedom, but it's, it's taken some work to get there. I remember back in, in 2012, the three of us traveled together and uh, we were doing mission work all over the world. And there would be all these moments where it would be time to pray for someone who was sick or needed healing. And what we would do is the first person would pray and say amen. And then the second person would pray. And then the third person would pray. And it literally took us almost the entire year to realize, oh, we're actually on the same team here. So like when Ethan is praying for them, I can just intercede as well. Because this isn't about me getting credit when somebody gets healed, it's about God getting credit when somebody gets healed. And so let's just work together and pray for this person. Be, be one voice together as a team in unity. And it sounds so silly at first and so simple, but it's so profound when you start to make that shift and you start to realize that actually together we can go further. So then uh, we get back from the trip and I get a job at a great church in California and Doug starts uh, working at Young Adults at Red Rocks Denver. And uh, we would both have Thursday night services. I would run these classes and, and he would have his service. And... Uh, what started to happen somewhere around like 2014, 2015 is Doug just started to really find his voice. Like he would preach a sermon and I'd watch it on YouTube and I'd be like, oh, that was like a legitimate sermon. <laughs> like, how did he do that? I wanna be able to do that, you know? And, and then he, he, he started to, to, to figure it out and then he started to, to pour just this immense amount of creativity into all of his sermons and they were all so good. And I would sit back and watch and just be like, ah, why can't I preach like that? And, uh, and meanwhile, he's just the most humble guy at the same time. And it's like, cool, Doug, you gotta pick one or the other. You can't be talented and humble. <laughs> and uh, I remember there was, a, there was a Thursday night. First off, we would, we would, uh, call each other after services and it's what was happening is like by the time I got my class up to 40 young adults was at 400 and by the time I got to 60 young adults was at 600 and no joke by the time I got to 100 young adults was at a thousand it was like this tenfold yield for him and Jesus talks about like for some people 10 some people 50 some people 100 and when Jesus says it you don't sense any bit of ego or pride or worry about what the yield actually is, just celebration that things are growing. But as humans, man, the comparison game that that puts us into, the trap that we fall into, and I keep watching and he just gets better and better and better at preaching. And then so much so that people in California started listening to his sermons, which was the worst because we would just write the sermons together. And then I would preach and somebody would be like, oh yeah, I listened to Doug preach that one last week. I'd be like, great, now I can't even work together with him to write these sermons, it's fine. There's this Thursday night where I, I was determined. I was like, I'm gonna get this. I'm gonna preach this sermon the way Doug would preach this sermon. 
we were talking about uh, how temporary life is, right? And so I'm working so hard to think of a good illustration. And at 2 a.m. on Thursday morning, I wake up with the best idea I've ever had. I wake up and jump out of bed and go, bubbles. Think about it. I went to the store the next morning and got a bottle of bubbles and walked into the auditorium and was like, this is gonna be so perfect because I'll go, what is your life? It's gone just like that. It's brilliant. Bubbles, guys, come on. I go, I gotta tell Doug. I gotta tell him so I call, FaceTime him. I go, Doug, I figured it out. You're gonna love it, man. You're probably gonna wanna use this tonight. And as I'm talking to him, he goes, hey man, what's going on? Sorry. And he has a rope and a harness and his buddy Preston has the, the rope around the rafters of the Lakewood campus because they are rehearsing that, that tonight when he preaches, there's gonna be this five minute segment where he repels from the rafters. And he goes, hey, life feels like it's secure, but if you put your security in the wrong place, eventually, and then Preston's gonna drop him a little bit, and everyone's gonna go, oh, no! And he goes, yeah, yeah, we're just getting ready for that. Sorry, what were you saying? And I look over at my bubbles. I go, oh, no, dude, I was kinda like thinking the same thing. Probably gonna, it's gonna do something similar. <laughs> So New Year's Eve rolls around and uh, if anybody creates anything, you just know the last week after Christmas before New Year's is just a wash. You know, like don't try to create anything, just wait till January 1st. But I had to preach the New Year's Eve service and so I'm like scraping by, trying to put some sort of sermon together. I'm sitting in this coffee shop in Seal Beach, California and I called Doug. I go, hey bro, I got nothing. What do you got for me? And sure enough, in the next five minutes, he does what he does best. He just lays it all out. He's like, Here, here's your outline. Here's a, an acrostic that actually spells a word at the end. You know that thing that he does. It's so annoying. <laughs> and I'm looking at it like, this is so brilliant. It's so good. Like, this is it. And I thank him and I hang up. And I walk down to the beach. And outwardly, I'm thankful. Inwardly, I'm just livid. Like, the holy ambition side of me is all but gone, and it's just the selfish ambition side of me. And I'm running on the beach and I'm going, God, why didn't you make me like Doug? Why didn't you make me like Doug? Why didn't you make me like Doug? And I'm, I'm running like an 80s montage move, like cheesy montage, right? I finally get to the point where I'm so exhausted that I, I just fall down and I go, God, why didn't you make me like Doug? And in one of the clearest I've ever heard God's voice, I felt like he said, cause I already got a Doug. Already got a Doug. Heaven knows we don't need another one. I would love a Ryan though. I would love for you to step into the giftings and callings that I've placed on your life because you think differently than him. And when you stop comparing yourself to him and you start working together the synergy that it's going to create. And by the way, Ethan thinks differently than both of you. And when you three stop comparing yourselves to each other and start working together, I brought this sermon to, to Ethan on Monday, right over there. 
And in three minutes, he goes, here's what you should do, here's what you should do, here's what you should do, because his mind works that way. It's different than mine, but when it comes together, like there is no ceiling for the amount of stuff that we can create together. But it takes getting past that comparison trap. And so I wonder who that person is in your life who you can't stop comparing yourself to. And I wonder if what God's saying is, hey, I already got one of them. I need you to be you. I made you on purpose for a purpose, personality and all. I need you to step up and be who you wanna be. Church, if we could get that together and be one unified body of, of believers all using the giftings with some holy ambition chasing after greatness together, there is no stopping what the Holy Spirit can do in this city. Gotta get past the comparison trap though by calling it out, redefining greatness, cheering each other on, for God's sakes, cheer each other on, and then running our race. Should you guys stand? Wherever this sermon finds you right now as you watch online, ladies at God Behind Bars, those up in Overflow, those in this room, I, I wanna just believe right now that the Holy Spirit is doing what the Holy Spirit does best. The Holy Spirit's doing some, some divine surgery in your life and showing you, hey, hey, that person that you compare yourself to, what if this week you start going, God, thank you for putting somebody super talented in my life who can push me forward. Would you teach me how, how to, to be more like them this week? All the while, I'm gonna cheer them on. If there's somebody in this room that you find yourself comparing yourself to, maybe out in the lobby today, you just go, hey, I just wanna say this. I compare myself to you in this way, and I know it's, 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 I don't want that in my life anymore, and so I just wanted to shine a light on that and confess that. You watch, some of the most powerful moments of ministry I've ever been a part of have started that way. Groups this week, you start having those types of conversations, you watch what the Spirit does in your life. 